So I've asked Pastor Nathan to stay out here because this morning what I'd like to do is I would like the two of us, we're going to have a little dialogue with each other. And just for the sake of this dialogue, I am going to represent the Word of God, truth, and Pastor Nathan has volunteered to represent Satan. Um, the picture for you. He gave me this picture. He's like, guys, this, this is kind of the way I wake up. And, uh, um, and so for this reading, he's going to represent that. Here's the reason why. Uh, when we walk through life, that picture, will you put that back up? Like, I just, can we not put that all over the township? Like, make out 10,000 copies, write Nathan Potter on it, plaster it everywhere. Doyles, please take that back to Oregon. Um, so good. Often in our life, uh, we have a decision to make. And the decision that we have to make is what voice will we listen to? The voice of truth, the voice of God, Satan. I love you. I tolerate you. I have given you my son, Jesus Christ, to set you free. Free from what? Come on, you don't need to be set free. You are a good person. I give you grace and mercy. I want you to know that you can move beyond all of your hurt and all of your past. How can you leave it in the past? It's who you are. You can't change what happened. You'll never be able to forget what you went through. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am all that you are going to ever need. You'll never be happy if you give up what makes you feel good. You have needs. It's just who you are. I redeemed you. You're a new creation in me. You're broken and miserable, and you will always be that way. I wouldn't eat that. It has two sticks of butter in it. It's fine. It has fruit on the bottom. <laughs> my love for you is unconditional. If God will love you no matter what you do, why does it matter if you follow him? Your behavior doesn't even matter. You'll never be good enough anyway. I love you. Again, with a love. Just as I have forgiven you, you can forgive others. Whatever. They hurt you. You should make it your goal to go through life making them feel horrible and repeatedly live in how they wronged you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Yeah, right. If that's true, why do bad things continue to happen? I don't want you to keep worrying about anything. Bring your worries to me and I can carry them. God doesn't really answer your prayers. Things just happen to work out. Besides, if God knows what's going to happen, why pray? It's just a waste of time. My word can transform your life. The Bible, it's outdated at best. Look how millions of people are living today. Surely they can't all be wrong. Who are you, are you listening, listening to? And that's an important question for us. Because as silly as some of that is, the two sticks of butter or there's fruit on the bottom, which is so true, by the way. That's like a motto in my house. If it has any fruit in it, it's healthy, um, right? And that's kind of how we function in life. And we have to ask ourselves, what voice are we going to listen to? 
One of the greatest struggles that I have found in the church today, one of the greatest obstacles that I have seen in the church today are individuals, people, who can't fully grasp the forgiveness and the mercy of God. You know, some people would say, well, you need to learn to forgive yourself. Well, no, you don't. You can't forgive yourself. That's not biblical. But you can learn to live in the forgiveness and the grace that God provides. We need to choose what voice we're going to listen to. In fact, just to remind you of a few, I think, incredibly important uh, biblical points that we can find in the Word. Uh, I want to go back. I want to give you a three-minute a three summary of something that I spoke about in a series that I did in January. It was through the book of Ephesians, and it was called Strong God. Um, I want to give you some reminders of what we learned about who Satan was and is. This is what we learned. We know that the Bible calls him uh, Satan, the deceiver of the world, right? We find that in Revelation chapter 12, the deceiver. Uh, we know that in John chapter, uh, John chapter 12, he is referred to as being the ruler of this world, the God of this age, uh, from the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, I love that, the adversary, he just calls it out for what he is. That Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so he's telling us to be self-controlled, to be alert. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, it says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We need to ask ourselves, who are we listening to? Because we know that Satan is going to want to lie to you. In fact, that's one of the primary ways in which he works. We know that Satan lies. And again, this is from a series. If you want this in a lot more detail, go back first couple of weeks of January, first three weeks of January, and you can go to a series called Strong God, and it speaks and elaborates on all of this. But we know that Satan works by lying to us. John 8, it says, when he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a, a liar and he is the father of lies. So we need to comprehend that, that Satan lies. We know that he hides the truth. He doesn't want you to see it. He doesn't want there to be an, another side of the story. He just wants you to live in one side of the story of hatred and resentfulness and jealousy. The God of this age has blinded, it says, the minds of the unbeliever. Right? Again, that's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's blinded us so that we can't see everything that's coming, everything that's unfolding. We also know that he works by tempting people to sin. Satan is an expert in justifying, helping you to justify your sin. Well, I should have been angry at them. I should have yelled at them. I should have lashed out at them. And we live in that over and over and over again. Right? He tried to do this. He did this unsuccessfully with Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, where he is continually tempting him three different times. He tempts him, but he unsuccessfully is able to do so. But that's what his DNA is. His DNA is to tempt people to sin. 
In Luke chapter 22, we find him successfully doing it with Judas. And so Judas ends up betraying him. Luke chapter 22. So we know how Satan works, but here's the thing. Satan, and we just need to get it out there, Satan is our accuser. God is our advocate. Please hear that. Satan is our accuser. God is our advocate. This is what we must walk away with today. Is that God has come and said, you know what, you can't do it on your own. You have sin in your life, and so I'm going to be your advocate by allowing my son to die for you. That's a pretty good advocate, isn't it? It's a pretty good way to be able to support someone and to come alongside them and to really say, you know what, I love you. We need to understand that God is our advocate. Because so many of us are living with this this sense of pain and suffering and we can't move beyond stuff that has happened to us or things that we have even done in the past. We struggle to do it. And so we end up with people who aren't living in the joy of Christ. We end up with people who are almost tolerating his forgiveness, hopefully. God's forgiveness is not intended to be tolerated. It's intended to be embraced. And so we need to make a decision. And the decision that we make every day is really what voice are you going to listen to? Now some of us are also used by God or by Satan to be that voice. We have a choice as well. Some of us love to make sure that other people don't move beyond their sin. And we're good at it. Some people, they can make sure maybe you have that person in your own life. I know that none of you are that person to anyone else, all right? But we make sure they live in their past sin and hurt and shame. We remind them of it constantly. And we need to make a decision of whether or not we're going to allow ourselves to be used by God or by Satan. We need to ask ourselves, are we going to listen to the voice of God or the voice of Satan? Why? Because most of our pain, most of our suffering, most of our bitterness, most of our anger, it is rooted in an inability to be amazed at Christ's love for us and our own sin. It's something that should knock us off of our feet. It's something that when we process, you know what, yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I have these issues in my life. Yes, there's all this hatred that is happening. And yet the the God of the universe gave his son to die for me. We should be overwhelmed at the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Overwhelmed by it. It's something that we can't flippantly go, oh, okay, that was kind of cool. Oh, that's nice, nice message, super, God loves me so much, he let his son die for me, yeah, yeah, I've heard it before, let me get on with my own life now. No, it doesn't work that way. We need to be amazed at the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the love of Jesus Christ that allows us to also focus in on the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love where he's coming and he says, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That goes back to that idea of having a strong God. That God can help us release and relinquish those strongholds that Satan has in our own life. Sometimes those, those voices that are speaking to us are other people saying, you know what, I can't forgive you you know what you did to me sometimes those strongholds that are on in our life aren't even other voices it's ourself and we play this game uh, of knowing that we're really not worth it and we have other sinful strongholds as well whether it be pornography or whether it be sexual practices or maybe it's the living situation that we're in and we're not really wanting to be Christ-like and biblical in what we're choosing to do. Another passage that really stands out to me is Romans chapter 8. And I'd invite you to turn to this passage today. Romans chapter 8, an incredible text. Romans 8, 1 through 3. It's going to be on the screen in front of you as well. But it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I want to give you some time to find that. Romans chapter 8. I'd love for you to follow along with me. It's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible because it helps us in understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I didn't say the ministry of Jesus. I said the ministry of Holy Spirit. We do know Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's God working with you and in you and through you to continually speak to you. The people who are able to overcome the pain and the hurt and the suffering that they've had in their life are the people who understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They're people who allow God to continually work in, in their lives. To speak true to them and to receive that truth and to be able to walk forward representing and reflecting Jesus Christ. So here in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned I think roughly 20 times. So we speak about the ministry of Holy Spirit and we see it nearly 20 times. And it's the type of chapter that can just sweep you off of your feet in a beautiful way. I want to read just the first few verses for you. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can just stop right there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You know what that means. There's, there is now, therefore, No consequence for those who are in Christ for the sin that you have had in your life. It doesn't mean that you haven't had the sin in your life. He's saying, I've paid the debt. I told you, like this is, the message of Jesus Christ is the most astounding message out there. Like that's why I get so riled up about it. Because I recognize first and foremost, I'm a sinner. And yet here's this amazing, beautiful message saying, you know what? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about people. If the the ones who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, if they began to live their life 
not in condemnation, but in the freedom of Christ, there would be a domino effect that has massive impact on the world. But we struggle to do so. Why? Because we're listening to the wrong voice and we keep listening to Satan and he's telling us how worthless we are and we've messed up and we can't get over it and we just keep living there over and over and over and over and over again. And as a result, we're not living as someone who no longer has condemnation. We are living as people who are still in captivity. Why is there no more condemnation? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit There it is. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Law of the Spirit, law of sin and death. I asked you before, uh, you know, what voice are you listening to? And we mentioned the voice of God. We mentioned the voice of Satan. Well, here is the law of the Spirit. Here is the law of death. Here is the voice of Satan. We have to make a decision. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Here's what this means. You couldn't keep every law. You can't do it. Why? Because you're a sinner. And so that law was weakened by the flesh. And so as a result of that, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. I mean, verse one's a high point. It's like, woo, we're never going to be condemned if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We're never experienced condemnation for our sin because we are made righteous in Jesus Christ. The only way that we can understand how marvelous it is to have no condemnation is to understand what it is to be condemned. And we find Romans chapter 1. I just something you might want to just scribble down. Just Romans chapter 1, uh, 18 and following. And really all of chapter 2, most of chapter 3. Just write Romans. It addresses what it is to really be condemned. It lets us know that without Christ, there's hopelessness. Jonathan Edwards, he says, The wrath of God upon the wicked is just as intense as his love for the saints. I don't think I got that exactly right. I just remember it from years and years ago, and it's roughly those words. That's what it means to be condemned, and yet his love is so great for us that we can move beyond those things. Not only did he declare, not only did God declare his righteousness but he planted his spirit within us. Why? Well, one of the results of that is that that spirit that's been planted within us becomes the fruit of the spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And so, as a result of that, 
We have an action that's reflected in our attitude. It's the impact of the gospel. And so we're so overwhelmed. We need to know these passages. We need to know Romans chapter 8 and really what he's trying to communicate. That you know what? You had no hope to keep the law because of the flesh. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to trump that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to override that. And I'm going to come and I am going to give you my son Jesus Christ. And so now we can live with this freedom, free from the guilt and the shame of anything that has happened to us previously. One of the reasons people struggle to run into the future is because their leg is trapped in the past. They've got a cement block. Do you say cement or cement? It's okay to be wrong. Um, and it's it's caught back here in the past it's hard to run forward into the future that God has for you when you're so stuck back here and so we have to start to absorb this three things I think that we can do to really move beyond all this three things all right very first thing there is we need to receive some forgiveness receive forgiveness now this is very, uh, this language, you go, okay, wait, this is kind of churchy, isn't it? Well, first, this is a church. Second, it's the greatest thing that you can do in life is to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by placing your faith in him. It's a beautiful thing. And most of us have claimed just enough Jesus to hopefully get us into heaven. Claim all of them, Right? Because he didn't give just a little bit of himself, did he? How much did he give? All of himself. That's what we believe as disciples in Jesus Christ. And we need to receive this forgiveness. Right? People who haven't really, you're going, well, how do you know if you've really received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and been able to move beyond your past and your suffering and all those different things? Well, here's one of the ways that you know is most of the time, I won't say it's universal, but most of the time, the people, the individuals who are struggling at receiving forgiveness for themselves typically are the ones who most desperately try to fix everyone else. They're the ones who are always trying to fix someone else. The solution is not to fix the other person. The solution is to gain a heart that is overflowing with thankfulness for grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then that grace that you have received then pours out to others. It overflows that much that then that same grace, that same spirit that has been poured into your life is then with the overflow of that is pouring into the lives of other people. And so it's a matter of receiving forgiveness. One of the passages, and it hit me last night, uh, and I'm just reading and I'm processing through. Luke chapter 7. Luke cha- at the end of Luke chapter 7, I want to tell you what's taking place. Um, it's really remarkable because... In Luke chapter 7, you have this amazing story of, and it's verse 36 and following. You can write down Luke 7, 36 all the way through 49, I think is the last verse. Um, because Jesus is coming into the home of a Pharisee. 
Now, the Pharisee or the people who were just very righteous, they thought that they were doing everything well a certain way, right? And so, all of a sudden, Jesus is coming into the home of a Pharisee. And the Pharisee's feeling pretty good about himself because here comes Jesus. And he's wanting to determine if he's really a prophet or not. And what he does is all of a sudden this guy looks over and he sees this woman who had, who's come into the house and begins washing Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. You know the story, and anointing him with oil. Hopefully you've, you've heard this before because it's truly spectacular. It says, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Wow. Well, this guy Simon looks at him and says, hey, this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and says, hey, I've got something to tell you. He says, what's that? He tells him a quick story, but he, he ends up saying to him, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I have come in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. Right? The people who are struggling the most, and just follow with me here for a moment, because this is this is. This is vital. The people who are struggling the most with the forgiveness of Christ are typically the ones who are too busy looking at others and trying to fix them rather than looking in the mirror at their own life and their need for grace. That's what we have. And so the woman who's wedding Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping with her hair and taking and anointing them, she's the one receiving forgiveness. doesn't stop there verse 48 he says your sins are forgiven and and then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins very last verse verse 50 i think i said 49 earlier verse 50 and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace what he doesn't say is this Your faith has saved you. Now go live in your pain and misery. I'm not fluent in Greek, but I know it pretty well. It doesn't say that. Again, it says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How how did Jesus help her battle her shame? You know, there was shame in her having to come before Jesus and to do what she was doing in front of all these people. But she chose to do it. How did she battle the shame of her sin? How did she get over it? How did she move beyond that? Well, Jesus gave her a promise. Your sins have been forgiven. (laughs) Your, Your faith has saved you. And then she's, he says to go, which was literally the action of moving and forward, 
moving forward into the future. That's what that was. And so what he's really kind of declaring here is, hey, you know what? Your future, you're going to move into a life of peace, which means you can move beyond the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the suffering, and you can start to reflect Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so we have to take hold of the promises of not only current grace and peace, but you know what? With Jesus, there's future grace and peace. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of us need forgiveness. In Hebrews 8.12, he says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. little kid it was a few years ago I'm not going to say their name Carson um, and he did something and he knew right away he shouldn't do it um, and so he goes dad I know I, I, need to, I, I need to ask for forgiveness I said oh okay go ahead um, and so he goes God and he started saying the prayer please forgive me I shouldn't have done that, blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember what the sin was. Right? But he knew right away. Well, the next day, <laughs> oh, man, I got called out. Because I was like, well, now, you remember yesterday when you did such and such. He says, Dad, your memory's better than God's. <laughs> because I had told him that God forgave him and he could move beyond it. <sighs> that kid... Right? Like we need to really receive forgiveness. And then we need to let people also around us, you know what we need to sometimes let them do? Receive forgiveness. We need to receive forgiveness and then we need to surrender the past. I'm going to hit these last ones in like three minutes, so get ready. We need, we need to surrender the past. Buying into the gospel of grace means that you have freedom to move beyond the past. To live in the joy and the peace that God desires for you. Surrendered the past. In 1 John 1, 9 that I was just sharing, I want to go ahead and throw that on the screen. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to surrender the past and to leave it to God. Now, it doesn't mean, guys, there's going to be shame. When, when, when you've done something wrong, there should be shame. It's called conviction. Conviction, we know, is a blessing because that's Holy Spirit who's living within us. I told you, Romans chapter 8, it's all about the ministry of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit living with us and saying, hey, you're not doing something right here. And you know it, and now if you listen to the wrong voices, you start to justify those things. And so we know, we understand that those things can happen, and there should be shame and guilt from that. But once we have moved beyond it and we have surrendered it to Christ, you know what we need to do? We need to move beyond it and surrender it to Christ. 
We need to surrender the past and walk, run, sprint into the future of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. Lastly, not only do we need to receive forgiveness, surrender the past, but we need to listen to God. I asked you from the very beginning, which voice are you listening to? And we have to make a decision regarding the voice that we will listen to and determine the way that we're going to walk through life. Listening to the lies of Satan is ignoring the grace of God. Listening to the lies of Satan is ignoring the grace of God. Well, but you really messed up. You can't move beyond it. And guys, the world will tell us there are certain consequences for the sins that we've had in our life sometimes. That's part of it. But there's still a a grace and a mercy and a freedom in the name of Christ to allow us to walk forward, to, to move forward. And we claim that inwardly. And then afterwards, people will see it outwardly. Listening to the lies of Satan is ignoring the grace of God. We know Satan, he wants us to feel unworthy of God's grace. And the thing is, you are. But he gave it. He gave it. I'm asking for you to truly, fully receive it. And so many people today are stuck in who they were when Christ wants you to celebrate in who you now are because of his love and his mercy. The praise team is going to come back out. And what I like us to do is I want us to take a moment Just to listen to God. I started, I'm over here, right, representing the word of God. Nathan was over there representing the opposite. Whose voice are you listening to? Well, I want us to conclude today with giving you an opportunity to hear from the voice of God. And I'm going to be calling out some things that we find in scripture to remind you of his grace and his love. So let's pray together. I love you. I'm never going to leave you. Give me all of your burdens, all of your worries, and let me carry them.
I love the world so much that I've given the world, I've given you my son, Jesus Christ. That if you would just place your faith and trust in him, you will have eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are an, the, the old is gone and you are now a new creation. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. Move beyond who you were. And step into who I have made you to be. A child that has been forgiven. A child that has been redeemed. A child that God has pulled his robe up for and ran toward. And forgiven and embraced and kissed. Receive his love. God, we want to listen to your voice today not anybody else's and so for anybody in this place who has Satan yelling in their ear rip him out and may we hear your love and your truth in Christ's name